You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, we have Easter in just a few weeks, and as we build a, a climax moving into Easter weekend, I want you to be thinking about who you're going to invite to two services. One of them is Good Friday service, where we are going to walk through the cross very vividly. And if you know someone who needs to know and to hear the power of the cross in their life, to forgive and to heal, bring them on Good Friday weekend, which is Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, and then bring them back, or maybe you can only get them for one week, bring them to Sunday morning Easter service. People are 80% more likely to say yes to a church invitation at Easter than at any other time of the year. So uh, get out there, invite them, and this could be the opportunity for them to meet the Jesus that you love so much. Today we begin a series that's going to walk us to the cross, and it's called The Greatest Verses. And uh, the greatest anything is very subjective, right? I mean, we could say, you know, the greatest pizza place is, you know, so-and-so. Man, the people, man, the greatest Mexican food is so-and-so. Maybe you have your favorite places, uh, but let's just kind of throw out some answers here. What is the greatest movie of all time? Someone said Red Dawn? What is it? Titanic? That's it. That's a good one. Greatest movie of all time? What was that? Ben Hur. The Thing? Oh, Big? Okay. Oh, that's, you know, it's it. Ten Commandments? Sound of Music? These are good ones. Nobody said Lord of the Rings? That's my... Karate Kid. <laughs> Karate Kid. I wouldn't put that at the top, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good movie. Um, no, my wife right now is totally digging The Greatest Showman, right? Anybody here like The Greatest Showman? I'll give you $100 if you can sing a song. For, I'm just kidding. Don't, because I bet you could. <laughs> I bet you could. Yeah. All right. Um, just kidding, from beginning to end. All right, what's, here's another subjective. What's the greatest song of all time? You know what? I think non-spiritual song, Don't Stop Believing, is, is definitely the greatest song of all time. It's actually played more than any other song in the history of the world on the radio. On the radio. Uh, that means right now, somewhere in the world, uh, Don't Stop Believing is, is being played 24 hours a, a day. Somewhere in the world it's being played. So it is always being uh, played. I, and it's just a great song. Uh, the, most, uh, the greatest song of all time that has been sung more than any other song, played more than any other song, performed more than any other song is Amazing Grace. That song has actually been done by more Christian, non-Christian, across countries, translated into more languages. It is a truly one, probably one of the greatest songs of all time. Who what would you say is the greatest city? Dallas. Dallas, that's nice. Greatest city in the world. You said Phoenix? No, New York City. What's the greatest building, tallest building? It's probably in Dubai, right? I, I would say the biggest buildings, tallest buildings, and they were gonna they're gonna build even bigger buildings. Who's the greatest human being of all time? <laughs> I believe Jesus has trumped you. Jesus is a fully God, fully man. He's the greatest human being that ever lived. Um, 
the greatest of any category somehow seems to be a bit subjective. You know, what, what you like, what I like. However, when Jesus says something is the greatest, it is the greatest. Uh, usually, uh, we have our opinion, but basically everything bows at the opinion of what Jesus thinks. Uh, we're going to pick up at a moment where Jesus' life is coming to an end. He's been preaching the gospel or preaching the kingdom for, for three years, a very small window of his currently 33-year-old life. Limited time to cover a lot. And we're coming down, no more traveling, uh, no more uh, you know, spreading the word all over the land of, of Israel and Galilee and, and Jordan. He is now focusing the last five days of his life in one city in Jerusalem, and he's pouring his life into those that will come and hear him and speak to him. It's now Tuesday, four days before he is to give his life on Friday. And on this Tuesday, before the Friday of his death, tensions with the Sadducees and Pharisees are building. These are the religious leaders of the time. And the tension is building, and it looks like it's, it's coming to uh, a head as they are trying to entrap him and arrest him and kill him. So everywhere Jesus is teaching, they're showing up to mock him, belittle him, entrap him, and embarrass him. So in this particular instance, four days before his crucifixion, he's teaching the gospel, and Sadducees Ask him four questions dealing with some of the four biggest issues of our life. The four questions they ask deal with issues of authority, of who's the boss, issues of taxes, what to do with our government, issues of marriage, what to do with our family, and issues of God, what do we think about the one who created us. So they ask him four questions. All of them are an attempt to embarrass, trick, or insult him. The first question is, well, who do you think you are? Whose authority are you speaking on? He answers with a question. Then he, they ask him a second question. Uh, they, they say, well, Jesus, well, you think you're a prophet. Well, should we pay taxes? How should we treat our government? He answers them and it silences them. And then another one says, I've got a question for you. When I die, who am I going to be married to if I was married to more than one person in this life? Jesus answers that question. Some of you guys, that's a good question. Uh, you can find it in Mark chapter 12. Read it later. I want to know now. I'm checking out for 20 minutes. And then the fourth question is, what is the most important thing that God wants us to know? So this is where we're picking up in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Also found in Matthew and in Luke. He says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard him, uh, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer about the other three issues. And he asked them, uh, he asked them another question. He says, all, of all the commandments, what is the most important? What's the big dog? Now, keep in mind, there's 613 laws mentioned in the Old Testament. And there's 365 commandments in the Old Testament. And then there's an additional 700 laws that are known as the Oral Torah. That means laws and commandments that are traditionally passed down through the Pharisees and Sadducees. So now you've got potentially over 1,000 plus laws and commandments. They're trying to embarrass him, to trick him. 
and to cause him to look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. So that Jesus, you think you know everything. Well, what's the greatest of all of these commandments? Because we can think of only ten. But he says, what's the greatest? So this is what he says. Jesus, who is the Torah in the flesh, answers with the Torah, quoting Deuteronomy 6. He says, God's plan from the start is not about religious rules, but about relationship. And this is what he says. He says, the most important one is this. Jesus answered, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Matthew 22, 38, it puts it this way. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he says this. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself, which we're going to focus on next week. He says there is no commandment greater than these. Matthew even goes so far as to say that Jesus says all of the law and the prophets hang on these two. So these are the two most important. In fact, Jesus says, and the second one is just like it, is what he says in Matthew and in Luke. So two commandments that are equal in weight. But he gives us the first one straight up. We're going to talk about this week. The next one, next week. Jesus then asked another question. He answers them with a deep theological question, and they're silenced and walk away. Let's take a look at the first part of what he said with the greatest verse. He says this. They asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he starts with a song. He says, the most important one, Jesus says, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is what's known as the Shema. The Shema is sung when it's read. So I'm going to sing it to you right now, a version of the Shema. And it goes like this, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Enu. And then they would all say, the Lord our God is one. Basically, Jesus said, I've got to tell you something. But first, I want you to know, this is coming from the Lord God, the creator of all. He basically says this, I want to get serious with you. The creator of all is going to tell you what the most important is. Are you ready? Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu. The Lord our God is one. Are you ready? Here it is. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. Now, this is the first thing I want you to know. We're going to unpack this whole verse is this. God wants us to love him relationally. Our love for God is to be relationally. This is deep. God is not a force. He's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's a person. And the first thing it asks us, he says, he doesn't say this is the greatest commandment. Do this. Be this way. Cut your hair this amount of a length. Wear these kind of clothes. He didn't say, you know, pray this way. He said the greatest commandment he didn't say is to, uh, you know, tithe your 10% and then give an offering. He, he said the greatest commandment is based on a relationship between us and God. He says this commandment, he says, I want you to know something straight off the top. God can be known. That God loves you, cares for you, and you can know and love him. This is personal. This is emotionally connected. This is decidedly active. God is personal. This is about a relationship. You've heard us said that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Well, it's true. 
It's true. We kind of miss this idea that the most important thing that God wants us to realize is that he can be known. He can actually be communicated with. That God cares about what we care about and he wants us to know him. If we are to know his love, if we are to love him, we must understand how much he loves us. You know, if I were to ask you, you know, what would you like to know? You might tell me something deep. Tell me something rich. I might say, maybe you've heard this. Well, God loves you. Uh, yeah, that's good. I know God loves me. No, tell me something different. Jesus loves you. No, I want to know something richer. I want to know something new. Tell me something fresh. Let me tell you something new. Jesus really loves you. God really cares for you. You will never truly understand who you are and how to love God until you understand how much he loves you. He truly loves you. God loves you. He really does. God reached out to us. This is the whole mystery of the entire Bible, that the God of all creation would come for me. I'm not worth it. But he thought I was. He cares for you. He loves for you. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says that when we were powerless, haters of God, still living in sin, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. When we were his enemies, when we were haters of him, not only does God love us, but this is the crazy thing. God is the source of our love. It's intrinsic to him. It belongs to him. It's indigenous to him. It's not something he does. It's someone he is. This is who he is. It all begins with him. It all belongs to him. 1 John 4, 7 says, love comes from God because God is love. See, the crazy thing about this whole idea, this whole commandment, the number one commandment that God is asking you to do is love God, you are to love him, to know him, to cherish him, to be decidedly active in pursuit of that relationship with him. But the crazy thing is, is you can't even do that without his love. You can't even love him without knowing how much he loves you. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Everyone wants to be in love but can't know true love until you know how much God loves you. We get glimpses of that. Man, I've seen some good parents that aren't Christians. They love their kids. They give of themselves and they sacrifice their time and their energy. It's a glimpse of God's love for us. I've known couples that love each other that aren't Christians, that, that sacrificially give their time and their energy to each other in a relationship. It's just a glimpse. We can't fully experience the depth of true love apart from Jesus. That's why we struggle. Some of you struggle so much with love is because you're trying to walk in love without him. This is what Ephesians says this. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus chapter 3, beginning with verse 17, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that means firmly planted in this concept of who God is and his love for you, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, that we can as Christians grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That means a love without limits that his love for us is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
I can't even conceive in my mind why God would love me. Why he would love you. Why we would love us. Why didn't he just kill us all? But instead, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why would he do that? Well, this is love that surpasses knowledge. He says this, that you can know this love. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He says, this is my prayer for you. That you would know the riches, the unending limitations of Jesus' love. God so radically, unconditionally loved those who hated him and were enemies that he suffered and died so that we could live. So how are we to respond to this love? A lot of us would respond like this. Thanks, big guy. Wink, wink. We, we treat God like the man upstairs or like a landlord. As long as I pay my rent, he won't kick me out. As long as I'm on time with the bills, the lights will stay on. And somehow we treat God as this kind of an authority in our life, but there's no love for that. It's hard to love the landlord if that's all you see God as. It's hard to love, you know, the boss if that's all you see him as. All of his names that he gives himself, that, that we get as children of God the opportunity to call him, are all about relationship and love. We get to call him through the Spirit, Father. That's a love relationship. He's not just boss or, or, or the big guy upstairs. He's not just, you know, that guy. or He's not a four. He's my Father. And then he said not only that, he uses another word. It's called friend. It's love. It's relationship. He says this, love, the second is the Lord your God. Here's the second thing, is our love for the Lord or for God is to be exclusively his. It's relationally his and it's exclusively his. The word Lord, I might say Lord. The word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, means master. Uh, it means full master. It means king. If it's a lowercase L-O-R-D, it's given in relation to each other. You might have someone call a king a lord, you know, or call someone who's a landowner or in, in medieval times. Or, or you might see it in the Bible where they call another person lord. It's always a lowercase l. It's a term of respect and a, and a submission to authority. But when it's a capital letter, it's always in reference to the Lord God, Jesus Christ. And it means supreme master, king. It means boss and lord of all. It means the one who's in charge. The king of our life. He says, the king of our life and God creator of all. You are to love the king. You are to love the master. You are to love the creator of all. That's because our love for him is to be exclusively his. God's love is inclusive, but our love for him is exclusive. The one and only expects our one and only devotion to be exclusively his not partially. God does not share his place of love with anyone or anything. Let me put it this way. Imagine if I were to have this conversation with my wife today. What if I were to say, honey, I love you. We've been married 25 years this last November. It's been great. But, don't take this personal, but I want to date other women. But I still love you. I don't even love these other people. My heart will be yours. Would you be okay with that? <laughs> you know, you know I, I, think, I think 
an open marriage is a good thing, right? Would, would that go over well with any of you women? Not if your heart is right with God. <laughs> it would not. But this is how we are with God. God, here's my heart. But God, I'm going to date other people in my life. My heart is also going to go out to other things and to other devotions and other issues in my life. I have an agreement with God. It's an open relationship. I'm going to give him my heart. He has my spirit. You know, I get my ticket to heaven. I keep it in my wallet. But you know what? As far as I'm concerned, I have other loves in my life too. And God's okay with that. No, he's not. He's not okay with that. God expects our love to be exclusively his. God will not share your love with a boyfriend. God will not share your love with your spouse or with a girlfriend. God will not share your love with your kids. God will not share your love for a sport or a hobby. Because it is exclusively to be his. Now, we give love letters and, you know, Nicole's birthday was last uh, weekend. And, you know, we have Valentine's and, you know, we write these, you know, uh, my love and devotion are yours. These are, these are platitudes of love and commitment to the people that we love in our life. But God is speaking for something that is much deeper than that. He wants everything. He wants all of us exclusively. You are to be his and his alone. Let me put it this way. A guy meets a girl. He gets around and he goes, girls smell good. They do, most of them. <laughs> girls smell like girls. And when guys like that, they get around her and all of a sudden, you know, you know what, I feel like I could sing all the time. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. You know, it's like all of a sudden air supply becomes a very meaningful spiritual experience to you. Air supply is going to be in town. They're going to be on their walkers. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. You know, and then all of a sudden you look at her in the eyes, you're like, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's the one. And then maybe if you're a girl and you're dating, you're like, you know, uh, I love the way his skin wraps around his skeletal frame. His cologne, he wears cologne. Girls like guys that smell good. Tip, guys, be cleaner. <laughs> His cologne, his jeans, his hair, his raspy voice. I know he's a Christian because he's got a cross tattoo. <laughs> he, he could be the one. And we think, okay, maybe, you know. But what if when we met someone, we saw this person and we thought how handsome or how beautiful and, and how interesting and how funny. What if we saw this amazing person and we thought, could it be? It might be, could it be, maybe they're the two. Because God is asking us to not put a person in front of him. And if we can get that mentality, this is one of the things I love about my wife. I'm not number one in her life. I'm number two. And I sang this goofy song at our wedding, and I cried through the whole thing. And it was all about how she loved Another man whose love was greater than mine, stronger than mine, better than mine. And that other man, I got to the verse. I mean, I got to the bridge and they're thinking, this is a messed up song. And then I get to the verse and I said, that other man is Jesus. And everybody's like, whew, sigh of relief, right? But I'm crying, so I don't think anybody even understood it. Anyhow, I'm like, yeah, there's another man in our life, you know. I worked on it for months, only to, I could have learned it like a half hour before and it sounded the same. 
But I love that about her because I'm not number one. I'm number two. <laughs> I don't know where I am. <laughs> All right. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, but he's not only echoing uh, the great commandment. I mean, he's echoing the, the first of the greatest ten commandments. He says, you shall have another gods before me. The Lord is to be our true devotion. He is to be our number one. To be truly fulfilled in life, to find love, to find the one, God must be your one. In Exodus 34, 14, this is what the Lord says. He says, do not worship or have devotion for uh, any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, his very name is exclusive. The very name of the Lord. The word L-O-R-D, all capitals, is the name of God, Yahweh or Yehovah, transliterated. And his name literally means I am. Who's number one? God says, I am. His very name means exclusivity. He says, whose very name is jealous, is a jealous God. Some of you are like, well, that doesn't sound right because I thought jealousy was a sin. Different words here. Different words. The word here means intolerantly exclusive. See, Jesus is intolerantly exclusive for you. He didn't die for the Beatles. He did, well, not the band. He did die for the band. I'm talking about bugs. He didn't die for animals and creatures or for the chair that you're sitting in. He didn't, he didn't die for, for your favorite song or for, you know, your car and for that house. For the, he died for you. You are exclusively his. He designed you, created you, calls you his own, and expects you to have him as exclusively his. And he is intolerant about it. To the point that the writers used a very controversial word, the word jealousy, which means he is intensely angry about our lack of devotion towards him. That's what that means. He is passionate about his relationship with you. If you love him above all, he will make you a greater lover of all. He goes on to say, Jesus in Mark 12, he says, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all. That's not, that's not a part, but with all. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That means we are to love him wholly. This is the third thing. Our love for God is to be completely his. It is to be relationally his. It is to be exclusively his. And it is to be completely his. It's a full meal deal. It's the combo. It's the fries and a drink. It's everything involved. He wants every part of us, not just our spirit. He doesn't just want our heart. He doesn't just want us to raise our hands and say a prayer. He wants holy, all of you. He wants every part of your life. He goes into it and talks about God gave his whole self. Our love for him is to be our whole self. He gave his life on a cross. And as we understand what God wants from us, we find that he's expecting us to pick up our own cross. He wants us holy to lay down our life for him. He mentions four areas here. The heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. Of these four areas, the first one is the heart. He says, I want you to love me with the center of your will. The heart means the things that we desire, that are the, the, one, the things that we want to do, the, the places we want to go, the dreams that we have. Man, my heart is to do this. My heart is to go here. My, my heart is to have this. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart means to love him wholly and completely with the things you want to do in your life. Some of you, you have heart problems. You need a spiritual EKG. You need to check out your heart because you have some heart damage. He says, I want that heart. No matter how broken it is, no matter how kicked around it may feel, will you give me your heart? And then he says, I love you. And he says, I want you to love me with your heart, with all your soul. And I love this because the soul means this is what makes us individually uniquely different. This is what makes me want and desire different things than you. Our soul are our emotions, our feelings, the things that, that make us tick. You know, God cares about the way you feel. He cares about your emotions. He cares about when you're sad or when you're depressed. He cares about the things that make you happy. He cares about the things that bring you joy. He cares about these things. And he wants you to love him Holy with your soul. That means everything that you emotionally desire, your passions, he wants that. The things that make you you. He doesn't want us to be clones. He doesn't want us all to look like me or look like Nicole or look like Sean. Hallelujah. He doesn't want us all to look like each other. He wants you to be you. But he wants you to give yourself to him. He's not wanting to create a bunch of mannequin dummy clones. No, he says, I want your soul, the part that makes you you, the cool things about your personality, the things that you love and the things that break your heart. Will you give that to me? He says, love me with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. This is our thoughts. This is the things that go on in our head. These are the things we worry about. These are the things that keep us up at night, that that seem to play over and over in our mind. The what ifs. What's on your mind today? He wants that. What are you coming in here struggling to keep your mind off of? He wants that. The things that you're stuffing away that you're going to have to deal with tomorrow. He wants that. He says, love me with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. You know, that means it means your body. That means physically. A lot of people think, well, I just give Jesus my heart. I give him my heart. And I can do whatever I want. I give, give my heart on Sunday. Jesus, you get an hour and 20 minutes. Or an hour and 30 if the pastor's really long. But on Monday, it's my body. And on Friday night, it better be my body. Because I got some partying to do. And on Saturday night, I'm doing it again. If I can get somebody to go out with me and get some more money. And then I'm coming to second service. <laughs> Because <laughs> I can't make it to first. You know what? God wants your body. He wants the things you do with your body. The things that you do, the places you go. What you do to your body. He says, love me with your body. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, with everything you have. We're to love him. He says, will you give me your body? Because that's how I want you to love me. He wants us to love him emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, with our time, with our energy, with our resources, with our devotion. He wants every part of you completely. There's a song, a great, a great movie, a, a film of, of 
top caliber film, 1984, called Breakin. Anybody ever heard of the film Breakin? It's a hip-hop movie, okay? Let's see. Okay? It's a hip-hop movie, all right? And it had a wonderful sequel called Breakin 2. And then there was a, a, a stream of movies that competed with Breakin. Breakin was better. And they were called Beat Street. And then Beat Street 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> These movies were defining moments of the early 80s and mid-80s of hip-hop dance and street cred music, right? But there was a song in the movie Breakin, the first one, that just has stuck with me my whole life. I love that soundtrack. But there's one song, some of you guys have heard me sing it. I'm singing a lot of songs this morning. And that is 99 and a half or two. Gotta have all, all of your love. 99 and a half or two. Gotta have all, all of your love. Now, you, know, you guys remember that song? Anybody at all? Am I the only... Anybody even seen Breaking? Remember that movie? All right, thank you, Sean. The rest of you, you're missing out on a life-changing experience. <laughs> and since you haven't seen it, the song sounded just like that. <laughs> now that's <laughs> that song, 99 and a half. It always stuck with me because even though I was a young person, God used to tell me, you know what, Ted? I don't want 99 and a half of you. That's not going to do. I want all of you. Now, that song is about a, a love between a man and a woman, but this really goes along with what we're talking today. The Lord says, you know what, I want you to love me with 99 and a half. No, with 100% holy, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We've heard about Jesus. We've asked for forgiveness. Some of you say, I go to church. I'm trying to love the Lord like this. How do I know if I am loving the Lord like this? Well, let's take a little exam. How to know that you are loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With your will, your passions, your mind, and your body. The night before he dies, uh, Jesus has a heart-to-heart with his disciples. He sits them down. He breaks communion with them. He washes their feet. He gives them a challenge and he prays for them. There's a long discourse. It's several chapters long in the Gospel of John. He sits down with them and then after he uh, says that he's going to die and that it's coming very quickly, he says this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say if you love me, you'll know a lot of stuff about me. He didn't say if you love me. You'll get up early for prayer every day. He didn't say if you love me, you go to church every Sunday. That's not a bad idea. But that's not an identification of our love. He says if you love me, he didn't say you'll, uh, you'll always, you know, cut your hair above your collar. He didn't say these things. You know what he said? He says if you love me, you will listen to what I have to say and you will do it. You'll obey me. Here's the first thing. You're like, how do I know if I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, by your obedience. That's the first thing. How do you know if you're living and loving God in the way that he wants for you? Do you obey his commandments? Do you live them out? You see, our love walks. Our love walks. His word will direct our decisions and actions. And if we are truly loving God the way he has called us to love him, we will walk in obedience to what he says. 
And that's what we do during the rest of the year. As we, and, and in our small groups, in our Bible studies, and as you grow on your walk, in your walk with God, and as you read the Word on your own, you're finding out what He says and what He's saying about you and what He's calling us to do and to be as Christians, as lovers of other people, and how to walk in obedience to His Spirit. That's what we do the rest of the year. And Jesus says, if you love me, you won't just hear it, but you'll do it. You'll obey what I'm saying. That's how I know you love me. He says it again in John 14, 21. He says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then he says it again for the third time in verse 23. He says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He says it again. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Our love for God is not merely words or pleasant platitudes, but daily walking in it. That's how you know you love him. Are you obedient to what he says? Let me put it this way. How does my wife know that I love her? Say this is the scenario. We dated. uh, Well, we were friends for a while. We met in youth group as teenagers. We were friends for a while. And then we started dating. So we dated for a few years. And then, you know, I, I, after I woke up and realized that I liked her, <laughs> she liked me first. And she was the smart one. Uh, not because she loved me, but because she knew we were made to be together. And uh, <laughs> that sounded weird. You're the smart one. You loved me. <laughs> That's not what I meant. But I, I, I realized I began to grow in this love for her. So we began to date, and I began to woo her, and take her on dates, and do special things for her. And, uh, and then we dated a few years, and then we, we finally got married, and I asked her to marry me in front of our youth group, in front of everybody. And we had a big youth group, and Arsenio was really big at the time, and I got down on my knees during youth group on the platform and asked her to marry me. The whole crowd stands up going, oh, 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 as we're popular in our Arsenio days. And so uh, uh, I, I stood up and I said, all right, we're, we're going to get married. And we planned this wedding and we walked down the aisle and, and I walked down to the front and Pastor Rusty, Rusty Mitchell did our wedding and I slid a, a ring on her finger and, and then we left and I was like, all right, my job's done. I don't have to do anything anymore. Get me food. <laughs> all I had to do was snap my fingers. And I got drinks. <laughs> I didn't have to try anymore. I didn't have to do anything anymore. And I said, hey, get your own door. Your legs aren't broken. <laughs> right? It's like, it's, it's, I'm one and done. I'm in. I'm sealed. I'm good. Is that, the way, is that a good route for a healthy marriage? Not at all. <laughs> That's, that's doom and gloom. <laughs> that's, that's the end is in sight type of thing. But you know what? We treat our relationship with God the same way. You know, when we're checking out God, deciding if we want to be a Christian or not, that's dating. We're getting to know God and we're getting to know what he, what he loves about us and what, what he wants for us. And we date, and then all of a sudden we, we walk an aisle and we make a decision uh, to give our life to God. And, and then we follow in baptism. That's like getting the ring on. You know, my ring doesn't make me married, but it tells the world I am. Just like baptism doesn't save you, but it tells the world that you are. Right? So we, we make this dating process and we make this decision. 
and we, we get the ring on of baptism, and, and all of a sudden we're done. We don't have to do anything else, God. Snap my fingers. I say a prayer. You get what I want. You serve me. I want my prayers answered. I got my ticket to heaven. It's in my wallet, in my back pocket. It's done. I'm sealed. God, get me what I want. That is an unhealthy perspective of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But yet we do the same thing. What do I have to do to ensure that our marriage is healthy? I have to work on it. I have to think of her often. And I have to do things that I think about, not just think about it. I have to say the things that I think about, not just think about how wonderful she is, but I have to tell her how wonderful she is. And I, I have to serve her. I have to show up on time. I have to stoke the fires of our romance as much as I can. I need to be consistent. I need to help out with the dishes. We need to go on trips. We need to go on dates. We need to do things together. I need to spend time with her. I need to listen to her. I need to value what she has to say about me and in our life, and hear about what she says and what she thinks about. That's a healthy relationship, and that doesn't ever stop. There's no, there's no end in sight on that. That is a perpetual daily work. Some days I'm good at it. Some days I'm not so good. But you know what? Our walk with God is the same. We must stoke the fires of our relationship with God. We must listen to God. We must serve God. We must be patient with God. We must give ourselves that room and those opportunities to develop that relationship with God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Love is not an emotional thing. It's actually quite practical. It's an action. Love is not a feeling. It is an action. When we are in love with God, his commands become a joy rather than a burden. Maybe you guys, I'm on a singing thing this morning. So maybe you guys have heard the song, The Things We Do For Love. The things we do for love, the things we do for love, like walking in the rain and the snow and there's nowhere to go and you're feeling like a part of you is dying, something like that. The point is, the song goes, all these different things are the things, the crazy things you do in love. And you know what, maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been in a relationship where you had to drive hours to see somebody and you only spent like 20 minutes with them, but it took like four or five hours to get there. Anybody ever been in a relationship where the driver, the drive was longer than the time you got with them? A few of you. Maybe if you went to college or something, you had to do that. Uh, long distance relationships are hard to keep up. Driving long hours, late nights, the things we do, working on projects. I was mentioning in first service, uh, Bob built this beautiful uh, a jewelry case for Nicole that's hanging in our bedroom. And it took him months to make that. It's beautiful. And, and you know, I don't know how many times he hit his fingers and scraped his fingernails and, and uh, you know, cut his hands and, and sweat. And, but you know what? He did it out of joy because he loves his daughter. You know, I think about how parents, you know, we love our kids and we sacrifice our time and our energy, our comfort, our sleep, our finances, you know, we sacrifice so much for our children and we don't go, ah, you dumb little kid, you're ruining my life. No, it's for the joy set before us, we endure this. Just like Jesus said, for the joy set before me, our salvation, he endured the cross. See, there's things that we do for love, even though they're hard, because when love is the motivation, we can do great things. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, You'll obey me. Obeying God's not always easy. Walking with Jesus is not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes it can be very hard to do. 
But he says, but if you love me, those hard things will be a joy because they're motivated out of your love for me. The hardship is the joy when the root is love. Some of you are like, okay, so you're telling me if I mess up, I don't love God? I mean, you say the, a mark of a, of a true follower is obedience, but what if I don't always obey? What if I make mistakes? Does that mean I don't love God? Not at all. I'm not talking about the slips. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we make mistakes. You know, as a teenager, I loved my mom, but I tell you, sometimes I was a real punk. I was not very nice to my mother sometimes. I was a Christian teen, but I didn't always treat her with respect. I wasn't always nice to her. I'm so thankful that my mom loved me more than my stupidity as a kid. Right? So you guys can relate. Your mom did the same thing for you. Sometimes our love uh, is greater than their stupidity. And you know what God's love for us is greater than our slip-ups and our stupidity and our failures. God's love never fails even when we do. Those slips remind us of how much we need his love and gives us a reason to love him even more. God's love for us makes up the difference when we fail. Isn't that good news? Here's the second thing you need to know. How do I know that I love God? Well, by your obedience. And the second is by your love. We love what he loves. Now, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper next week with the second part of the greatest command. But I want you to know something. When you love God, you will love the things that he loves. You know what he loves? He loves the church. He loves the bride of Christ. He gave himself for it so that we could be saved into it. He planned it, built it, saved it, died for it, commissioned it, sent it. And guess what? He's coming back for it. And if you love Jesus, you will love the things that he loves. He loves the community of faith. We are not meant to be spiritual hobos wandering around as citizens with no home. But he says, if you love me, you will find yourself in a place of community, which I love. You know what else we love? We also love the lost. He came to seek and to save those that were hostile to him, those that were enemies of his, those that despised him, those that hated him, he came for those people. And guess what? When we love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love the lost people at the level that he loves lost people. That's why I became a minister, because I love lost people. I want to see as many people come to know Jesus Christ as possible. Some of you, you may never be a pastor. You may never stand up on front and preach a message, but your life is a message and your words can be preached at every place you go to work, at every bank that you visit, in every hair salon that you go to to get your hair cut, every manicure that does your nails, every family member that you sit down to have dinner with, you are the message of Jesus Christ. And you love the people that he loves. He also loves the forgotten and the outcasts. Sick in spirit and those who are abandoned by the rest of the world. Those that are homeless, the hungry, the sick, those who are in hospitals, the orphans, the widows, the single mother, the prisoners. These are the people that Jesus came and exclusively put his attention on while he was on this planet. And when we learn to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? You will love the things that he loves. And you will care about the homeless. You will care about the sick in the hospital. You will care about the prisoner. You will care about the person that nobody else cares for or looks down on. He loves people. We know that we are in love with him when we care for what he cares for. He cares about injustice. He cares about the hungry. We're going to dive into this next week. This is the heart of the entire New Testament. 
Later that same night, John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Here's the third thing on how do you know if you truly love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's this, by your understanding of who he is. God reveals himself to those who love him. Full disclosure, the basic truth of who Jesus is is given to the world, but the understanding of who he is is given to those who are his. You know, there's things you, know, you don't know about me, but my wife knows. There are things you don't know about me, but my kids know. There are things you will never know about me, but my family knows. Because of the level of that relationship, with that intimacy of that love, there is a greater understanding of who I am. The same is with God. The more you love him, the more you grow in your intimacy with him, the more you will understand who he is. And he reveals himself more and more to those who love him. That's what he says. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The deeper our love, the greater we understand. See, this is the reason why so many churchgoers struggle with understanding to know God, because they come to church and that's all they want out of it. They have a religious point of view. They are a Christian. Or they, they see God as the landlord and they got to pay their dues. They don't see that love as something that motivates them to be here. They see it as their religious obligation, their routine, their tradition. I just want to start a week off, great. Why don't you focus in on that love relationship with God. And this is a great opportunity for you to hear about the one who loves you. And cares for you and that you love. It's a totally different perspective. But when you come in in love with Jesus, you will understand better the things that Jesus is saying to you. Some of you struggle to know and understand the Bible when you read it because you're not in love with Jesus. You see him as the landlord, as the boss, as the man upstairs. Not the one who's not just a king and ruler, but the lover of your soul. Well, I don't understand what's going on in my life. You're like, man, my marriage is all crazy. Uh, man, my money is going like, like all upside down. My finances are messed up. My work is, man, I'm just struggling at work. The Bible is a mystery. I struggle to read it and understand it. Three questions to ask yourself if you are having a hard time understanding your life right now. The first question is this. Do you truly trust that God loves you? Do you truly understand the depth of his love for you, being in love with God is knowing God loves you is good and in control. Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We think all things work to good. Uh, no, they don't. Not everything works for good. Not everything does work for good. But for those that love him and who are called according to his purpose, that means you're a child of God or a son of Son or daughter of God, that means, yeah, it does work good for you, but not everybody else. Are you in love with him? Are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with God? Second question, uh, by the way, religion is thinking God only does things for you. Relationship is knowing God truly loves you and has your best at heart. Second question is this, are you in love with Jesus? The first one, do you truly trust that he loves you? The second one, are you in love with him? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to others who are being saved is the power of God. Some of you, you're sitting here, you're not a Christian. This whole thing is just weird to you. The worship songs that we sing are just weird to you. Those words, they're weird. They don't make any sense. The Bible, man, this is like, it's weird 
It's just old. It's just, is it really applicable? I mean, what's the deal? And you know what? It's all foolishness to you. You know why? Because you're lost. The gospel, the word of God is foolishness to those that are perishing. But for those of us that are in relationship with him, there's understanding and it's power. And here's the third question to ask yourself. How is your love walk? If you're struggling with understanding God, ask yourself, are you walking out your love with Jesus before others? Are you walking in his will for your life? Are you in disobedience to his word in any area? That's what he says in John 14, 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Some of you say, well, I don't understand my life right now. Well, does it line up with his will? Man, I'm just struggling with my finances. I just, well, does it line up with his commands? I don't understand why things are going so bad in every area of my life. Well, are you walking in his love for you and for others? How's your love walk? Simple questions that will help you to understand God better and to illuminate his power in your life. I want to end with this thought right here. That night in John 14, Jesus spends his last time with his disciples and his last meal with his disciples. And he says something pretty powerful. He says, I want you to love me with everything you got, but I know you can't do it. You're like, well, man, I'm trying to love him with my heart, so mind and strength. Jesus says, I know you can't, so I'm going to send you some help. And this is what he says. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the helper, that's what it means, the helper or the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. In fact, he begins this whole conversation about love with this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will give you a helper who will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So here's what I went in with you today. You're thinking, man, I want to obey God, and I, and I want to love him with everything I have, but I just struggle, and I struggle, and I'm struggling, and I'm, I'm just, it's okay, help, help us come. Help us come. The Holy Spirit. God has sent his spirit to his kids. If you're a son or daughter of God, he gives you his spirit to help you, to hear his voice, to live a life that honors him, to help you to live and to, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything that you have. And when you stumble, guess what? The spirit is there to convict us and to draw us back to the Father. And God is so faithful and good to forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. And then he sends us back out to help us again with the Spirit. And as long as we are faithful in pursuing him, he will be faithful. Even when we're faithless, by the way, he will always be there to help you. So I want to pray for you right now. Two groups of people this morning. You can go ahead and bow your heads. There's two groups of people this morning I want to pray for. But the first one is this. Maybe you're sitting here and you aren't sure about God's love for you. Maybe you're having a hard time understanding what God is saying in your life. You're having a hard time understanding God's will for your life. You're struggling with habits in your life. 
Here's what Jesus says. Give me your heart. Give me your soul. Give me your mind. Give me your body. Give me everything you have. And I will give you the power, the Holy Spirit. I will give you the power to follow me. So as you're sitting here this morning, you say, you know what? I need to make that decision to give my life to Jesus Christ. I, I've been putting it off. I've been running from it. I've been struggling with it. But I'm starting to understand that God truly does love me. And it, even when I make mistakes, he still cares for me. And I want to give my life to Jesus. Do that right now. Let's do that right now. If you're sitting here right now and that's you, just take a moment and talk to Jesus. If that's you right now and you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus, then just tell Jesus right where you're sitting, Jesus, here's my life. Here I am. I give you my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I give you all of me exclusively. Here I am. Go ahead and tell him, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I've made a mess of my life. Thank you for not giving up on me. Forgive me of my sin and wash me clean. Here I am, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, heads bowed. If you are talking to Jesus even right now, keep talking to him. I want to pray for the rest of you in this room. Maybe you're here, this is the other group. And you need to know, even as a Christian, how much God loves you. How much he truly loves you. Christian, God loves you. He cares for you. He cares about what you're going through and how you're feeling. He cares about your dreams. He cares about the heaviness on your heart and the things on your mind. He cares about you. You just take a moment and thank him for that. And say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Teach me, Father, to let go of these things so that I can better understand you by knowing your love for me. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to have the ushers come forward, and uh, we're going to worship with our giving right now. If you're a guest, then uh, I'm glad you're here today. Could you drop that connection card in the bulletin? If you'd like prayer today about anything that we talked about or you have something else you need to talk to someone about, feel free to get a hold of me. I would love to talk to you and to share with you a little bit more about God's love for you. Next week, we're going to pick up where we left off this week, and that is we're going to talk about something that has the potential to change everything about your life. Everything about your life has the potential to be turned upside down next week. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it as we work our way to cross and to Resurrection Sunday. Be thinking about and be praying about who you're going to invite to Easter service and a Palm Sunday. God loves you. He cares about you. It's not a cliche. It's the truth. Don't ever take it lightly because it's the greatest, greatest thing you'll ever know. God loves you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.